Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Bad Dad, Rad Dad, where we look for better dads one movie at a time. I'm Kylie. I'm Elliot. And we're going to talk about the movies we watched this week before crowning the baddest dad and raddest dad of them all. And as always, dad is an energy, not a gender. So where Kylie's here. Yeah. Better or worse. <laughs> yeah, you're done. You're done for the year. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. For the feel? school year, yeah. How do you feel? Good. There's always this weird, like period where it's like oh right and now i just like don't live life as i normally know it which like is kind of an existential mini crisis you know remember that feeling when you were a kid and you had summers off and it's like both great but also kind of terrible you kind of don't you you have to i mean when you're a kid you don't fully understand that you have to find a new routine once yeah. you, and you, as an adult you understand that but it's still like you have to kind of make that shift from the routine that you have for 10 months of the year and then shift into a new routine for two months of the year. Yeah, and it's not even just that. It's like this weird, like I think anybody who's ever like had summers off as a kid like knows the feeling of like just this like anchorlessness. Like mm-hmm. like it's hard, like you don't know what day of the week it is or what time of day it is or, you know, you're just, just kind of floating, which is both lovely and strange. So, yeah. I'm not quite in it yet because it like won't feel real until tomorrow when it's a weekday and I'm not at work. But mm-hmm. and I'm and I'm working. <laughs> yeah. We before we get into the movies that we watched this week, I had a very eclectic week of non-movie things mm-hmm. that we watched. Starting with something you did. Yeah, I think you're a little jealous. Yes, a little bit. Um, so Hamilton is touring right now, like uh, Broadway across Canada. I think it's called. Um, and I didn't buy tickets because I was just like, that's pricey. And I've seen it many times on Disney Plus and listened to the soundtrack a lot. Um, but I was a little sad that I didn't get tickets. But I was just like, no, 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 that's not something that you should spend your money on right now. And then, luck of all luck, our good buddy Ashley had an extra ticket because her partner couldn't go at the last minute and gave it to me. And so I got to go see Hamilton as an honorary member of her family. Um, and it was amazing. Big stinky. It was so good. Like it was, I've watched the Disney Plus 
recording a few times and um, I was worried that I like wouldn't enjoy it because it wasn't Lin-Manuel Miranda and Leslie Odom Jr. and David Diggs like that I would you know not like whoever was playing them but in fact it was just like so phenomenal to see the stage in its entirety without it being like edited for me and like choosing what I got to see at any given time because the choreography is phenomenal and yeah it was it was really cool I'm really glad I went that's awesome mm-hmm. well uh, well I am jealous I'm happy that you got to go see it yeah it's pretty cool it is really cool and then the second thing this week is we we paid money for a ticketed online event called Smosh under the influence <laughs> yeah who are we so yeah like Smosh has been kind of they're a YouTube channel that's been around since kind of very early days of YouTube when you know if you were putting out content that people started liking kind of you know in the days of like Bo Burnham and like early GMM like if you got in you were in Mm -hmm. and you could just ride that wave to the top kind of similar with like podcasts like if you got in at like the beginning of podcasts then there was there wasn't a lot so when there's a good one that cropped up kind of just spread like wildfire Mm -hmm. so we like i never really watched watched any smosh videos and then i just kind of stumbled across a um they're trying not to laugh series just kind of accidentally um like last year and then since then you and i have become big smosh fans <laughs> we watch yeah. a lot of smosh content now. mostly their games though right like try not to laugh eat it or eat it um they're like bepperty stuff yeah two truths and a lie like we don't watch their scripted stuff yeah so they have like the smosh proper channel and then they have a sub channel called smosh pit where they play games and stuff and they also have smosh games where they'll play board games you sometimes watch those yeah yeah but yeah yeah was, i don't even know who we've become we just like love good mythical morning and smosh real youtube heads us yeah big time um, but this yeah this ticketed event was essentially it wasn't on youtube and it was them doing all of the all of that content that we just named um live but they were all drinking and mm-hmm. swearing and it wasn't censored or anything mm-hmm. but it and, also wasn't edited <laughs> yes it was very much live and yeah. And as you can imagine, as people are continuing to drink as the night is progressing, things are getting sloppier and sloppier. Mm-hmm. I think they went 45 minutes over time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, it was just, a cha- it turned into a bit of a chaotic mess. So there were parts of it that were fun and and funny and worth the price of admission. But it was, on the whole, it was just kind of like, at the end of it, we're like, okay, that that was fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. We had watched Good Mythical Evening and like really enjoyed that. But I think the difference is that Smosh just has such a huge cast. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you have that many people drinking, it just gets really chaotic really fast. Whereas my understanding is that on Good Mythical Evening, the crew weren't drinking. Yeah. Or at least not as many of them. Like when you're trying to, yeah, when you're trying to wrangle two people. That's a lot. And in that case, it was mostly trying to wrangle Link yeah. instead of Rhett. And then you're trying to wrangle like, I don't know, 30 people at the Smosh Under the Influence. Yeah. Yeah. We tuned in for the after show too, which was (laughs) was like, they were trying to answer Q&A from the audience. While eating pizza. And they just kept bringing more people onto the set to to join in. And yeah, it was just, it was a big sloppy mess. Yeah. But that was something we watched. 
And then the last thing was like the thing we were most excited about was that uh, Stranger Things 4 Volume 2 dropped. So the last two episodes of Stranger Things 4. We watched it at like 8 in the morning. <laughs> yeah, our cat woke us up super early. So we we crushed the last two episodes. Before 1 p.m. Before, yeah. yeah. So, and, you know, no easy feat either. I mean, the first one is like, what was it, like an hour and a half? And then the finale was two and a half hours so it was a lot but it was great like, I really loved this season of Stranger Things I mean I love every season of Stranger Things but I think that the way that they went out on this season set up Stranger Things 5 in a really exciting way I'm really excited to see what they what they have in store um, I thought where they went with all the characters like they have so many characters now that some of them are definitely kind of falling by the wayside and aren't getting as much development as some other characters. And but like, I, I didn't really, as I was watching, I didn't really feel that. I wasn't like, oh, I need more of this. Or um, they really dropped the ball with this. I'm just like, no, I think the people that needed to be the focus were the focus. And everybody else just got to, to support that. And that was okay. But cried a whole bunch. Yeah, me too. What? Sorry, I was so distracted because as you're talking about that, our cat was trying to lay with you. You're a big hand talker. As you're talking with your hands, he's like, his head is just watching your hands. Uh, he hasn't quite settled yet. Oh, is it happening? I hope so. There we go. Now he's settled. Ah, very happy boy. Um, yeah, no, Stranger Things season four, part two is great. Um, always great when we can watch it early enough to avoid spoilers. I really enjoyed it. I don't think I am invested enough in Stranger Things to, like, get upset about it. Like, I've heard from other people being like, oh, this character didn't have enough time or, like, whatever. And I'm just like, yeah, I, I just enjoyed it. Yeah. There's a lot of other things I watch, so I'm not um, not stuck on Stranger Things being, like, the perfect thing. But I probably will be upset if I feel like they don't stick the landing in the final season. Yeah. I agree, but I'm sure it'll be great, and I'm glad that they have a game plan that this isn't just something that's going to be going on and on and on past its past its prime. So, yeah, that was kind of it of non-movie things. So, quite a few things that we had going on, <laughs> yeah. but um, yeah, we did watch. I should watch four movies this week. We did, and the first one is, I mean, the argument can be made that it may not be a movie, but. It, it's it, on Letterbox. Yeah. Well, there you go. Then that's that's <laughs> you can log it on Letterboxd. It's a movie. Yeah, that's the proof. So last weekend you were away doing the one of the final days of your diploma marking. Mm -hmm. No, you're in the middle of your diploma marking, but you were away and I was like trying to kind of fill some time. And there was I was kind of going through my list of things that I didn't think you wanted to see and I wanted to check out. And I landed on Gerard Carmichael's uh, stand-up special, Rothaniel, uh, from 2022. It was directed by our baby boy, Bo Burnham. Our baby boy. And it was written and performed by Gerard Carmichael. Uh, just a synopsis. It features Gerard Carmichael in a stand-up comedy show at the legendary Blue Note Jazz Club in New York City. So it's, it, yeah, for all intents and purposes, it's a stand-up special. Mm -hmm. I had heard... 
a lot of buzz about this. Like I just kind of through the grapevine, I knew it was kind of floating around. And then I knew that Bo Burnham had directed this. Um, and I have no familiarity at all with Gerard, Gerard Carmichael. Like I know he had the Carmichael show and that he's done a few uh, stand-up specials, but I haven't seen any of them. So I have not really any context for him. Yeah. All I know of him is the A24 podcast, podcast episode where it's uh, Bo Burnham and him talking. And it was really funny. Yeah. I, I quite liked it. And it was pre-pandemic too. So um, it's from a few years ago, mm. but it was a good conversation. Mm-hmm. So like he, he was prom- like uh, Bo Burnham was promoting eighth grade, which is why he was on the A24 podcast mm, and then him and, and then him and Gerard are butts. Mm-hmm. And so I watched this during the day by myself. I loved it. And I'm like, uh, I need Kylie to see this. So we watched it again. Well, I watched it again that evening because I wanted to show it to I you. I guess that's a testament to how much you liked it that you'd want to watch it twice in one day. Yeah. But uh, what do you think of Rathaniel? Yeah, I really liked it. I am... Um... I'm not a big comedy watcher. I have this kind of thing where I, I quite like stand-up comedy, but I would prefer to go see it live. And so I'm not often engaged when I watch specials. See, yeah, like I'm the opposite. Oh, you like, love them. I ha- like I have my own profile within our Netflix account, and I pretty much exclusively <laughs> just watch stand-up comedy stuff and comedy specials. Yeah, and I, I don't know. It has to like interestingly this makes me think of hamilton which is like i i also don't love watching like live recorded music Mm -hmm. or um like musicals that are recorded and put up but i will if it's like it's the only chance i'm ever going to get to see this thing Mm -hmm. right um but every once in a while something like breaks the mold of that where it kind of goes beyond just being what i would see if i had been in person um, or this idea that like it would lose something watching it recorded that it would have had in person. Mm-hmm. And I think this special was really well suited to being recorded yeah, and putting up online. And it, um, I know you said there was a letterbox review that said Nanette for boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and it does really have that Nanette, like Hannah Gadsby's Nanette, which I love, um, vibe in that it's, almost more storytelling than it is comedy. Yeah. And it's really intimate. Not that comedy can't be and that comedy can't be storytelling, but there aren't a lot of punchlines in it. No. Um, He's actually like, he kind of says it in the special. He's searching for jokes mm -hmm. during the special. Like you can tell he has some kind of teed up, but as it kind of goes on, like it, it feels more spur of the moment. And he's like kind of acknowledges he's looking, he's searching for jokes to kind of fill some of the some of the spaces throughout the special. Yeah, so it is much more like watching somebody sit down and like tell you a story about their life. Literally. Yeah, he's seated the whole time. Yeah. Then it is um what what I think of when I think like other stand-up specials that I've watched are mostly John Mulaney. I've watched is Ali Wong. Mm-hmm. I've watched one of hers that's maybe Oh, and I've watched um Bo Burnham's Make Happy and What? Did we watch What? Yeah, I think we did. But that's it. Um, and so when I like compare it to, say, the John Mulaney specials, which is, is really, it's stand-up. Yeah. It's a guy standing there telling jokes. Yeah. Classic. Yeah. And this is a guy sitting down telling you a story. Um, so, yeah, I, I did. I really liked the um, the vibe of it. 
in that way. And it was um, really engrossing. Yeah. Yeah. It like this is uh, like it, it drew me in like just because mm -hmm. of his nature. Like he just felt really earnest. And he showed vulnerability um, and he was really engaging. Like the way that he worked off of the crowd and how he delivered his material and delivered his stories was just like really uh, engaging. It was funny. Like he had. Some yeah, really good I bits. Laughed, yeah. Um, There's one really unfortunate use of an ableist slur that yeah. made me be like, oh, buddy, why? You're so close, so close. Um, but like, there's a lot of patience here. Like, he was, he, he wasn't afraid to leave space mm -hmm. throughout the special, which was, yeah, like it felt, it felt a little bit less of like stand up and a little bit more of like, here's where I'm at. Like, he's kind of a little bit more sit down. Yeah. Big time. <laughs> Well, I think by the time you realize like what the special is really about, yeah, like the best way I could describe it is like I just wanted to lean further in, mm -hmm. like it was the kind of storytelling that makes you want to like lean closer, mm -hmm. like almost like around a campfire, you know, it's there's this like sense of anything's possible and we can talk about things we can't talk about other times. It had like that feeling evoked in it, yeah, which was really cool. Um, I read a lot of stuff afterwards about people just like feeling cheated or disliking it because it has this kind of feeling of intimacy and authenticity. And these people feel like that is false because it is scripted, it is practiced, it is performed, and that the special itself is the um, accumulation and editing of three different nights of the show. Mm -hmm. It's not just like one night straight through. How do you feel about that, that idea of like, is it authentic if it, um, if it's been pre-scripted and it's been practiced? I, I think so. I mean, these are things that he wants to say and put out in front of an audience. And he obviously wants to do that in front of multiple audiences. Like he wants to share that with the widest swath of his fan base as he can. So if he needs to finesse that and work that out and wants to share that with multiple audiences and wants to compile the best version of that show by having three different recordings of it and compiling the best of that. I don't know. I, I think that I'm totally here for that and kind of putting the best version of your art out there, even if it's not the only version of it that exists. But I think it's people like people feel like it's inauthentic. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know if I guess like it's totally subjective. I don't feel like it is. But I I mean, if if you feel that way then I guess that's that's okay too. But what I mean, what, what how do you how do you how does that make you feel? I understand where people are coming from. I think it comes from a place of like feeling like almost feeling like someone was burying their soul or telling you there's like a secret they had never told anyone else. And then afterwards it's like, oh, it's just a sham. You know, like people feel that some people feel that way about Bo, Bo Burnham's inside too. Like, well, was he really crying at that one part or is that acting right? You know, people get upset about that. Did he really drop the camera or did he plan to record a bit where the camera falls and people get upset about the authenticity of that? I mean, I guess what I would what I think about is like a memoir is carefully edited, mm -hmm. carefully crafted. Um, 
a TED talk is carefully practiced. And, you know, I think we probably don't want to see the version of the this where it's not practiced. Yeah. Probably be bad. Because at the end of the day, all of these things that you said and Rathaniel, they're, it's performances. Mm-hmm. It's different versions of performance. And if it's, if it's not practiced, if it's not, um, written rewritten revised then it's probably not entertaining was entertaining what we're looking for i think that we once like i think that in media for me like i i want something like i love finding things that make me feel or elicit a response from me and i think that i don't think that if something is practiced or edited together or you know i don't know i I just like i I don't feel like it's not genuine Mm -hmm. i i feel like it totally is genuine but i also believe that these people are artists and they want to have it come across a certain way and i think that that's allowed Mm -hmm. like i'm not gonna go in and record a song in one take Mm -hmm. because that's the most honest version (laughs) Yeah, yeah. you know well and that's the interesting thing too is compare what he's doing here to like a band playing a show they've practiced and the songs are pre-written and um the shows are probably going to be relatively similar but there's always like some slight variations in how it's performed or how the audience reacts and um Yeah. yeah i don't think that just because it's scripted or practiced just because it's a performance that is all of a sudden disingenuous um I think if it was, you know, it's marketed or presented as being a like unscripted live show where like it just was what first came to his mind, then that would be disingenuous. But that's not what it's suggesting to be. Yeah. It's just an interesting question because like there's a lot of um, people who have given it really like low ratings, low ratings specifically because of that being like, I liked it so much. And then I found out. That it was performed over three nights, and I'm like, well, and and some people feel like the audience questions were planted. Um, uh, uh, sure. Like, <laughs> I, 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 would it bother you if that was the case? No, I don't care. Like, I think the <laughs> I think the end product care. is so good that like I, it's fine. A piece of art is a piece of art. Yeah, like I I, I don't know. I, I'm trying to think. Like, I'm trying to be on the other side of things where, like, I felt like something is disingenuous. Like, I think when there's a band that you know they just like insert, thank you so much, sit insert city, have a good night. You know, like you can mm. tell like people psychologically like to think that they're seeing something for the first time or like that there's something unique that hasn't been done before about. The thing that they're looking at so if it's a concert like if there's something that happens or like the band says something or addresses something like i remember going to see blink 182 in the stadium where the oilers play and they talk about the oilers and the fans lose it <laughs> but it's like it's just them finding like a small thread to connect to the city so that it feels like they're kind of like connecting with us and they know they know about us and they care about us kind of thing I don't know. It just, I guess it just doesn't get to me. It doesn't, it doesn't really, like, I haven't, I can't think of something right now that gets to me of like being disingenuous or dishonest or not pure. Not pure. Not pure. Wow. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know. It. You're right though. It is like, it's an interesting question. 
And I think that what you mentioned about me- like kind of likening it to memoirs is a good is a good comparison. Yeah, that it's just it's been carefully crafted to be the best version of it, right? Um, yeah, which we probably want. I bet you that the first goes at writing it probably weren't as tight. Yeah, like that's like that's the thing to me is like if, there's a craft involved. Yeah, and if if you were to just sit down and write a memoir and just put it out without any editing or anything like that, that's it's not going to be as good. Like, and it's a blog. <laughs> yeah i don't know it's like we've def- if you do a comedy special with no pre-writing it's just a podcast oh. <laughs> um, i mean speaking of craft the editing like the directing is like it's really seems really simple but it it does a lot to like create that feeling of intimacy like what bo burnham's doing yeah. Well, and I was looking to the cinematographer is Sam Levy and he did the cinematography and was the DP or director of photography on Lady Bird, Francis Ha and Mistress oh, America. Interesting. So like obviously Homeboy loves New York and, <laughs> and just like can capture it really, really well. Yeah. Um, and then under Bo Burnham's direction, like you can see the influences of both kind of coming in. Um, but I think that the choices that were happening with how the show was cut together and the kind of shots and the Again, like going back to the word of patience, like you can see that in some of the shots. Like there's one, like we're focused on the crowd and it's just like this really long uh, pull out from them. And then it reveals uh, Gerard on stage. And it's just like this really intentional framing device and this reveal. It's it's really well done. Um, and like the um, New York shots that book in the special, mm-hmm. um are also really great like uh, I, I really like it but again it's like that is staged like it's not like oh he's on the street quick quick, <laughs> quick capture that footage like it's planned it's it's purposeful and it, it's it's awesome so yeah no i i think that uh i i think that this is one of my favorite comedy specials that i've seen do you think of it as a comedy special i i, I call it that just because that's kind of the category it's placed in. Mm-hmm. But I, I agree with you. Like, I kind of put it in there with, like, Nanette. Like, is Nanette a comedy special? I eh. think they both seek to take the framing device of the comedy special and subvert it through what they're doing with it. Yeah. Like, there's an intentional, like, I want you to come here expecting a comedy special or press play expecting a comedy special, and then I'm going to challenge that. Um so I think it, yeah, it's probably important to keep calling it that because that's part of the experience is letting it unfold to be other than a comedy special when that's what you initially thought it would be. Yeah. Like I wouldn't consider Bill Burnham's Inside to be a comedy special. But, it's, but is it, it listed as that? I think that. On Netflix? I think that that's my, maybe. Um, I think that it like puts it in there with his other specials. Hmm. So like. It's, but it's another one. It's just called a special. They don't call it a comedy special. But so, okay. I mean, I guess you could throw all of these under special. (laughs) Special. They're very special. They are special. Like they, they do exactly that. They're subverting the quote unquote comedy special. Yeah. Uh, And I mean, inside's funny. And I, I enjoy that so much more because I feel like comedy has shifted so much um, just with like the culture of the world and. Oh yeah. Nobody can, nobody can tell a joke anymore. (sighs) 
I disagree. I just think you have to. <laughs> you know that I'm kidding, right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm t- I'm talking to the person that you are imitating. <laughs> oh, we're doing a bit. Yeah, gotcha. Nobody could tell a joke anymore. I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, gotcha. I'm like, no, I don't actually think that. Yeah, no, I I think that. I'm like, we can tell jokes that don't punch down. <laughs> I I think that's the I think that's kind of the biggest thing. Like, I'm intrigued. Like, even um. Another special I really like is Jenny Slate's Stage Fright. Yeah, I've only watched it the once, so that is another comedy special I've watched, and I did I liked it. I didn't love it because, again, watching comedy specials isn't something that I typically do. Um, but I did like it. Yeah, because it's like it is traditional. She's like spliced together traditional stand-up comedy with these like interviews with her family and friends. Yeah, is that what it is, and yeah. it's like background on her growing up and. Yeah. Um, what is like growing up in her house and like this kind of history we is interwoven between all of her um, stand-up footage, but it all relates to each other. But I mean, so that's the interesting thing to me is I actually prefer that if I'm going to watch it, if I'm going to watch something like that, like on my TV, I'd rather it offer something I couldn't get if I went and saw it live because then why am I watching it on my TV? I don't know. Maybe I'm in the minority in this, but like I hate when people like take videos of things at concerts. I'm like, just watch the show. Just Mm. watch the show. And if, you know, if the band wants to put out a live version of it later, then sure, watch that. And probably that'll be like interspliced with like backstage footage and interviews and and this and that. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I want it to offer me something more than what I would have experienced sitting in my seat. Yeah. If I'm going to, if I'm going to watch it at home. That's fair. But I am somebody, while I agree with you, I am somebody that also likes watching live performances. Um, whether they be crappy audience footage or you professional watch crappy things. audience footage of things. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, like, oh, I hate for, it because in some cases it's the only footage that exists of certain kind of shows, like for example, like Ben Gibbard's solo stuff. There's not yeah. a lot of professional footage of his solo stuff, but there's lots of fan footage of. Yeah, the, and I think for me, I'm just like, well, then I guess I'm just never gonna see it. Yeah, that's fine. No, that's I'm totally not upset cool. at you. No, it, I, I'm not upset at you. <laughs> like, I, I <laughs> it think, sounds like you are. No, I, I think that that's totally like if that's not your vibe, that's not your vibe. Like, I knew that I really had to sell you on this on Rathaniel to get you to watch it because I know that watching stand up, I really liked it though. Pre-recorded stand up is not your jam, but I, it is my jam, and it's a lot of like that's the kind of stuff I watch on YouTube, mm-hmm. and that's what I watch on Netflix, and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I, I I enjoy and I watch it again and again. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, wow, in depth conversation uh, on Rathaniel <laughs> and just everything that surrounds it. But <laughs> to bring it home, how did it make you feel? Yeah, so I, I actually I really liked it, and I would actually really encourage everyone to go and watch it. It's only fifty five minutes, and there's a lot of really wonderful things I'd like to talk about with it that we just can't because it would spoil the effect of the special itself yeah like there's certain reveals um both about like what the special is like really aiming for about like you know there's a veers where the content changes um and moves into something different and to talk about that would be to to spoil it um but how it made me feel i'm just like really thankful it exists i think it's really important i think it's something that will stand the test of time and we'll be referring back to as like a pivotal moment 
in comedy, like in Annette, like Tignataro's show she did topless, like mm-hmm. things like that. We're like, it's just it's a marker in time that is incredibly important for the field of comedy. Yeah. And it, it made me really reflective. Um, yeah. I thought it had a lot of really. Actually, this conversation was a lot different than I than I expected it to be because when I when we initially watched it, and maybe if we had watched Rathaniel more recently, the conversation would have been different. But it made me think a lot about family and secrets mm-hmm. and um, identity and all of that kind of stuff. And and it actually, you know, there was a lot a lot that's very specific to Gerard Carmichael and his experience as like a black man in America. Um, and in the South, right? He's from the South. Yeah, he's from, I think he's from one of the Carolinas. Yeah, I want to say South Carolina. Maybe, yeah. Because I think, I was thinking dispatches from Myrtle Beach at the same time. <laughs> yeah. um, so a lot that's really specific to him, and yet there's some things in his story that feel also incredibly relatable in terms of his relationship with his dad and his dad's story to particularly your relationship with your dad and yeah. your dad's story, but, you know, shades of my relationship with my dad and my dad's story. So I actually thought that's where our conversation was going to go, and it did not. And I think that's just because it's really hard to talk about this special without spoiling it. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, but because of those things, it made me incredibly reflective about my own understanding of like my identity, how it's shifted over time, my relationships with friends and family, and the idea of secrets and and all of that. Yeah, um, that's exactly the, exactly the same thing. So I won't go too heavy into it because i feel like you've kind of encapsulated everything that i'm feeling yeah like it this felt i felt i feel very reflective i felt very reflective coming out of this just because yeah i i I saw so much of the stuff with my family specifically with my dad um but yeah i feel like this i feel really happy that this exists because yes I I, i agree like just in the shift in comedy that's happened over the course of i don't know say like the past 10 years some comedians are just starting to break the mold and do their own thing and do things that i feel are pushing the medium in a direction that i really enjoy Mm -hmm. um and i think is way more interesting than like shock comedy Mm -hmm. um and just like trying to be offensive for the sake of a joke and relying on your audience to be quote unquote be smarter than that to know that they're <laughs> joking like i don't need i don't need that anymore like i think teenage me really gravitated towards that oh, yeah i loved eddie murphy's delirious and i have a feeling if i were to watch it now i'd be pretty sad and i watched that a lot yeah like i've seen that over a dozen times for sure yeah but like yeah like comedians like that like i don't want to get into a big list of them <laughs> yeah we don't need but, to do that uh, like there's just some that i really loved that i've just moved on from mm-hmm. and now i love i love the something like what gerard did here love take nataro love jenny slay love bo burnham like i think that these people these are also people that like like and um hannah gadsby that just talk about growth mm-hmm. and moving past or moving through experiences that they've had and wanting to share that and like encapsulate those things in their in in their art in their comedy um and i i think that that to me is just so impressive and so Mm -hmm. much more interesting to watch than just like going up there and rattling off a bunch of jokes although that can be fun too but but there's something that like yeah stands the test of time about this and yeah, I guess I would cap this conversation off by saying that, like, I highly encourage people to go and watch this. It's on Crave, right? Yeah. 
Um, it's in only Canada. it's just a little under an hour. Yeah. Um, so but it's on HBO Max if you're in uh, places where you have that. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a really important special. I think it has. I think it could be a really important conversation starter if you watch it with some people you care about. Um, it was really good. I'm really thankful that you showed it to me. Yeah, I'm glad, happy to have watched it twice and <laughs> gotten to show it to you. So we went in a different direction for the next one. Last week I talked about how I had two movies in mind and I said, do you want to watch something weird or something sad? You said sad. And then it was only available to buy dubbed. So I took it out from the library, not dubbed. Um, and we watched it. Although I found out afterwards it's actually on YouTube for free. Oh, jeez. I don't know if the subtitles there would be good. but um, So if you, you like this conversation and you haven't seen this movie, you can watch it on YouTube for free. So I picked the 1988 movie Grave of the Fireflies, directed and written by Isaho Takahata and uh, based on a novel by Akiyuki Asaka. So the synopsis for this one, if you've never heard of it, is it's it's about a young boy and his little sister struggling to survive in Japan during World War II. Um, I'm just going to list the two main people in it as the as who it's starring. So the voice acting of Sutomu Tatsumi as Seita and Ayano Shiraishi as Setsuko. So this is a movie that um, you said you'd never heard of it. No. I keep picking movies you've never heard of. But this is actually considered like one of the best movies of all time. It's on the letterbox top 250. I think it's number 30 something. I think it's pretty high up there. Um, and I, I've been meaning to watch it for a long time. All I really knew about it is that it's really sad. Like, that's what I'd heard. I didn't really know much more about it. Um, and within, you know, minutes of it starting, you were like, oh, this is gonna be really heavy, isn't it? This is gonna be really intense. And, uh, and then, and then we continued forth with this movie. So what did you think? Um, yeah, this, yeah, hadn't heard about this one at all. So I had no context about what it was what it was about and yeah just in the sort of very opening i'm like oh no like this is gonna be this is gonna be heavy first off on a positive note is that this film is really beautiful so beautiful um like it the the animation style because this is this is this is a studio ghibli mm -hmm. film it's not Maizaki, but mm -hmm. it's just made by the studio um but like the the animation that comes out of that studio is always gorgeous and they do really great things. Well, something that I read about the animation is that they um, used brown outlining instead of black. Oh, so like it kind of gives a little bit of like a softness. Yeah. Yeah. And that like they only used black where they absolutely had to. Um, and so that create, yeah, it creates a different like visual plane than yeah. other ones. And I don't usually notice visual things, but like I, you know, I really noticed the animation here and particularly when you're seeing um, these like vast Japanese like planes and, and landscape. And then when you bring in kind of like the the war imagery, um, it was just like really visually stunning. Well, I, I wonder, too, because like I felt like this felt very for it came out in 88, but it felt very old just like the mm. look of it and i i wonder if that just kind of adds like that sort of like that kind of sepia kind of worn look mm. a little bit more mm -hmm. so it kind of dates it a little bit even further um do you see that, that as like a um 
a good thing. Yeah. I, 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 that's not the best word to use, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it was a smart choice. Like it reminds me not to bring this back to Batman. <laughs> Always back to Batman <laughs> with you. But um, that's something that I thought was really cool about Batman. The animated series that I loved growing up is that they drew everything on black paper. So it was all about bringing color out of the darkness and how to do that. It's and, very thematic. Yeah. Like I always thought that was that was brilliant and obviously like a challenge for them, but it totally sets the tone for that show. Yeah. Um, so I think I I think it's really cool in animation when they choose they choose to make choices like this for the aesthetics of um what the overall yeah, what, vibe is going to be. What I read here too is that sometimes using the brown outlining was really challenging, but that there was a particular effect they were going for. And it is, yeah, those soft edges that kind of um like things just don't feel as defined or as disparate from each other. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because something I did notice, and this makes sense now, is that there wasn't a lot of shadows. Like mm. when there was a scene where one person was like on a swing or like swinging. Oh, um, like with Setsuko, like with the little girl. Yeah, and like it, it was like a beautiful shot. Like the the brother was like like kind of doing like flips over this bar, oh, and she was down on yeah. the ground like picking flowers or like playing in the sand. And then in the background, it's just like the city is burning. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just like haunting and beautiful. Um, but in that scene, they kind of like pull back to like a overhead wide, and yeah, there wasn't any like shadows or anything like that. So that makes sense if they're if the shadows wouldn't be brown so it i can see and like if you're kind of if you're capturing like a lot of um like landscapes and stuff like that it would be hard to kind of delineate different parts of it if you're if brown is kind of your main divider instead of black yeah well knowing that now i'm really interested in revisiting it and like looking at it from like almost purely a visual like looking at it for that and less of the story because i was really engrossed in the story it um has this just profound and like really expertly navigated like juxtaposition between like childhood whimsy and like the heaviness of reality. Yeah. And it like just, you know, jumps in and out of those two spaces so deftly. Yeah. Um, in ways that are just like, you know, one second you're I laughed a lot in this film. Like well, kind of like a um like a like a chuckle at how I was really enjoying what the characters were doing or just being like, oh, that's really sweet. Like the way that like what Sata's doing for his little sister or, you know, things like that. And then, you know, the next second we've just got this like heavy gut punch about the reality of war or the reality of poverty or, you know, it was really well executed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I think and something else that it did really well is it had like really effective peaks of life during wartime in between the bouts of violence that were mm-hmm. happening. Like in between the violence that were happening, it was still people just doing everyday things with, and trying to cope with the challenges that war was, uh, that, that the war was presenting outside of the violence. So like food shortage shortages or like, um, how, like housing and, and just like kind of day-to-day living and how do you kind of go about that? And I felt like it was really effective at showing those in-between moments and the hardship of just kind of living in between 
Rather than all just like battlefield imagery. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I thought it did that really, really well. Also the like narrative framing that's used, which like we won't go into, but there's this use of color to like delineate between the the narrative narrative times that I thought was really again, really, really well executed and mm-hmm. like really um impactful once you kind of recognize what it's doing with those colors. Um I cried a whole bunch in it. Yeah. <laughs> if you, it is really sad. I mean, if you don't, then um, who are you? What's going on? <laughs> um, interesting fact I learned that like it just blows my mind. Um, when this was released theatrically, it was you could only see it as a double feature with my neighbor Totoro. Which one was shown first? <laughs> yeah, I'll have to look. I would that. hope Totoro came second. <laughs> um I, I think it's the other way around, but I could be wrong. While I'm looking that up, talk about what you think about that. I mean, I think if, I mean, that's a pretty good double bill. If, <laughs> if that's, if that's the only way to see it, that's a pretty sweet, that's a pretty sweet double feature to go see. Um, that's interesting. Like, I wonder, I'm curious now, cause like in my mind, Totoro is just kind of the resounding biggest success arguably for studio ghibli so like i wonder if they didn't have confidence in this film and so they felt like they needed to pair it with something that was more successful or would attract a broader audience or if they were just like no like these are like two of our things we're like super stoked on and are super awesome so like here's both of them like i I wonder what the why that decision was made to really to do a double feature, yeah, and have that be the only way that you can see uh, Grave of the Fireflies. I think that they. Um, so it says uh, on Wikipedia, it says the initial Japanese theatrical release was accompanied by Hayao Miyazaki's light-hearted My Neighbor Totoro as a double feature. The two films were marketed towards children and their parents, but the star- starkly tragic nature of Grave of the Fireflies did turn away many audiences. Hmm. I feel like it was something like that. It was the only way that they would release Grave of the Fireflies because they didn't think people would go see it or something like that. Yeah, like you, you get them in with Totoro. Yeah, and hopefully they stay for Fireflies. Yeah, I think it was something like that. I could be totally wrong. Um, yeah, but I, I just, I just, can you imagine? Can you imagine seeing those movies back to back? I can imagine doing it by choice now, as like a palate cleanser after this movie watching Totoro. Yeah. That's the Miyazaki movie that like I grew up on, um, and I watched dubbed as a child. And I just, I mean, who doesn't love Totoro? It's he's a big cutie. Yeah. But um, that, I thought that was interesting. That, yeah, that that is interesting, because yeah, like I, I'm trying to think, and and maybe this is a silly thought, but I feel like there's not a lot of like I feel like this and. I feel like films like Grave of Fireflies, which are animation that's dealing with some really real themes and some really upsetting and emotional themes that don't have something big and fluffy like a Totoro in it, weren't really a thing. Like I feel like more um, more movies, more animated movies with big emotional punches feels like a more recent thing and wasn't as common pre-1990 and i don't know maybe we just haven't seen them um because now what i'm seeing on imdb trivia is actually the opposite of what i just said which is that my neighbor totoro 
couldn't get made. That that was the issue. So it says, I mean, I don't know how true IMDb trivia is, but 278 out of 279 people found this interesting. So this film was initially distributed with My Neighbor Totoro because it was the only way that Miyazaki could have been able to make Totoro. Um, the original film pitch was rejected, so they pitched it as a double feature with Grave of the Fireflies, and the project was then backed financially by the original writer of the book on which Grave of the Fireflies is based. Uh, Totoro was screened first. Many people left happy and did not want to watch the, did not wish to be saddened by Grave of the Fireflies afterward. Interesting. Oh, I knew, I didn't realize that it was based on a book. It's actually, so it's actually based on a book that's partly autobiographical. Um, And I um, don't want to say what part of it is autobiographical because that would spoil the movie. But I think you know what it would be. Yeah. Um, okay. In, uh, in, that's interesting. The like that whole double feature, man. In the film business is interesting. Also, just like wild to to know that it sounds like the only reason it got made is because the, and I had read this as well that there was many live action pitches towards the like to, to buy the rights from the original novel novelist um and he repeatedly refused to do that and then when it was pitched as animation he he said like that's the only way it can like be done as it's meant to be done hmm. um and to evoke the feelings it's meant to evoke and that he was the one who backed it financially and just think without grave of the fireflies there's no my neighbor totoro Without with no my neighbor Totoro, how many like what does Spirited Away not exist? Does um, Howl's Moving Castle not exist? Like, what is the world robbed of if this guy doesn't want his novel made into an yeah. animated movie? So interesting, because this yeah, I don't know. I, I I mean, I feel like this would just be. I mean, it'd just kind of be like a war movie that we've seen a bunch of times, but because of the nature of the animation. Like it feels so unique. And... Well, so much of this movie actually isn't about the war. It's the conditions that the war creates. Yeah. For better or worse. It right? actually made me, and I, I don't know if I want to say the name because I, uh, yeah, I don't want to give anything away. But this, this actually gave me vibes of another movie that's kind of set during wartime, but has a bit of that, like that childlike whimsy that you were kind of talking about, kind of interspersed in so like a newer movie um in yeah maybe <laughs> okay I'm I, don't a, I don't know i have something in mind we'll talk about it after but i don't think that is what it is but yeah it kind of it plays with that that kind of like a childlike wonder but also with the very real the the reality of war um yeah it's actually yeah. The, the type of war movie i would prefer i'm not i'm not really a saving private ryan I've seen 1917, I've seen Dunkirk, but those aren't like really my thing. Um, and I, I thought this movie was really affecting and really resonant. So Yeah, and the characterization is great. Like they, they are, especially like the two main characters, really draw you into their story. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, the storytelling is also very patient. Like, mm -hmm. like it, it takes its time and it doesn't rush through anything and it really helps you kind of develop an understanding for the like not only our main characters, but the people that surround them and the, so the supporting characters as well and the space that they're living in. And it just, yeah, it just like really slowly draws you in and it's, you're just kind of intrigued for what comes next. It's done really well. Yeah. So how'd it make you feel? It just wrecked me. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I'm I'm really happy that you showed it to me and and I I think when I went back it was actually in my watch list so I know I know I actually did notice that I'm like so but I think sometimes we're like scrolling through lists of things and just adding stuff without really looking into them right Yeah like it's like oh this is highly regarded yeah mm-hmm. so put it on the list but I'm glad that you brought it back to my attention <laughs> but uh yeah it just it kind of destroyed me um but in, why am i laughing but like <laughs> but like in a in the best possible way yeah, yeah i guess yeah. we uh, like that kind of thing yeah it's uh it was great how about you yeah it made me really sad yeah like really sad um but in in a way that i like yes yeah like highly recommend um that you watch this film but yeah it is uh it is heavy it's beautiful and there's these moments of just like extreme wonder and like beautiful connection between the two siblings and um it's not all doom and gloom like there's levity no and i think that's what makes it so sad is there's a real humanity to it that just you know i've seen some more movies where it's just it's such a spectacle or it's um so focused on like the war itself that it's actually it actually dehumanizes the like reality of what happened there and that there was real people engaged in in, yeah. in the the reality of the war um and this film i think does the opposite of that where it it like hyper humanizes the the experience of war for yeah. civilians right yeah um that's a big thing is it for civilians yeah it's we we're not really spending time at all with the war itself or, yeah. yeah um yeah beautiful film highly highly recommend and it's free on youtube so get on it yeah run <laughs> click <laughs> play so um i picked a movie about a bear last week so i felt it fitted <laughs> different to, kind of movie about <laughs> bear. To pick a movie about a different kind of bear this yeah, week. yeah you did i picked the movie brigsby bear um it came out oh i did not write down the date for this one do you have it by chance yeah it was 2017 oh nice Thank you. You're welcome. It was directed by Dave McCary, written by Kevin Costello and Kyle Mooney, and produced by Lonely Island. So, and Andy Samberg's little team of of um, goons that do all of the like <laughs> SNL digital shorts, and they do all of their like little musical bits as well. Um, and stars Kyle Mooney as James, uh, George Landenborg Jr. as Spencer. George or Jorge. Uh, George, I looked at okay, okay, cool. Good um, for you. Ryan Simpkins uh, as Aubrey, Greg Kinnear as Detective Vogel, and Mark Hamill as Ted. And there's a few other, like, kind of bigger name folks in here, too, but I'm not going to go through the whole list. Uh, synopsis. After, after being freed from his life in an underground bunker, a man sets out to make a movie of the only TV show he has ever known. It's a really intriguing synopsis, actually. Yeah, I had no idea that that's what it was about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I remember seeing a trailer for this a long time ago and mm-hmm. being intrigued by it mm-hmm. and just like never follow through. And I don't even know if it got like a wide release or anything like that. So I don't know if we had an opportunity to go see it. I, I remember the same thing. Like I remember being interested in it. And there's another movie. And I think I get these two mixed up sometimes because when it came on, I was like, is this a horror movie? And you were like, no, uh, it's like about like something that came out of somebody's stomach or something. Oh, yeah. With that guy that's like he's in all those funny guy movies. Yeah, I 
don't know what it's I called. I know what you're talking about. I can't remember what it's called. But I, I conflate these two and I don't know why. Yeah. Um, It's definitely not that. Ken it's Marino. Def- he's, yeah. Yeah, he's from like Party Down. Yes. I'm going to look it up. Um, But as the like the vibe Bad of... Bad Milo. Yeah, that's... Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which came out in 2013. So why am I conflating them? I don't know. Um, But I kind of... When I saw the trailer... This kind of gives me the vibe of like a safety not guaranteed, science of sleep, eternal mm-hmm. sunshine, be mm-hmm. kind, rewind. Like that's kind of the vibe that I thought this was kind of sitting in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also like, I'm a very, like I, I like Kyle Mooney quite a bit, like mostly from his intern, like his YouTube so stuff. So interesting because I'm like, I have no idea who this guy is. <laughs> like I, if if you if you if you want to see what my favorite bit he's done on YouTube, it's a video called Sporty by Kyle Mooney. It's very very funny. <laughs> um, but he's also on SNL and he does a lot of the digital short stuff for SNL, and some of that stuff is also just a, just as hilarious. He's a very uh, particular kind of humor, and oh, it it's it's like awkward humor. I really like I really like it. Um, but yeah, what do you think of Briggs Be Bear? So yeah, I, like you said, I do remember hearing about it when it first came out and being intrigued and then it just kind of fell off my radar. And so I really had no context for the movie going into it. And I'm really glad. I think the less you know about it, perhaps the better. Yeah. Um, I said this when the movie was done and I and I agree with my assessment then. Um, it reminded me of like a Napoleon Dynamite meets a Swiss Army man mm-hmm. in the sense of like it's a weirdo movie, but it has something more to say than like a Napoleon Dynamite or a hot rod or a thing like that. So it yeah. it has that kind of humor, that like awkward like humor. Yeah. Like absurd. Yeah, like silly, like that that really turns some people off. But then like a Swiss Army man or 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 maybe even safety not guaranteed. It's been a while since I've seen that. Um, it ends up having so much heart, yeah, and it's so much more than just just a funny, funny, fun time. Mm-hmm. Like I like Napoleon Dynamite and I like Hot Rod, but they're just funny, fun times. Yeah, and this had like it was actually incredibly sweet and really affecting. Yeah, yeah, which time. surprised me. But it also had darker themes than I was expecting. Yeah, and and so I will say that some of those darker themes. The threads of it, I found a little hard to suspend my disbelief at times. Like, I'm like, that's not what you do in that situation. Right. <laughs> um, but I don't think the movie's going for realism. Yeah. Like, I don't think it's trying to do that in terms of, like, the antecedent action that we see a little bit of at the beginning. But, like, you know, most of the antecedent stuff and how it then plays into what happens later, I don't think they're going for realism there. No. And so... You know, we kind of had fun with that where I'm like, yeah, that's definitely not what you do in this situation if you want people to come out of it okay. But that I think that that's what needs to happen to have the heart that you talked about. Like, it, it's like, a again, I'm thinking safety not guaranteed, even though we haven't seen it in a while. Like, you need to suspend your disbelief because, like, mm-hmm. this isn't the way people would respond in a, in a situation like this or the way people would act in a situation like this. Or the protocol that should be followed. Exactly. Like, like it, it needs to... to Give it the heart to kind of propel it forward. There needs to be that suspension of disbelief that happens. Um, well, I agree, and I agree and disagree because I think a version of a similar movie to this that doesn't have the absurdity and is just focused on the realism, which I also think has a lot of heart, is Short Term Twelve. Yeah, 
heavier film, though. Yes. This Briggs Bear is not heavy at all. No. Like, not even a little bit. Like It, like, it deals with some heavy themes. Yeah. But in a totally not heavy way. At its heart, it's a, it's a comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Like a really sweet comedy. Yeah. I agree. And I think like, yeah, I, I didn't expect the the heavier themes to come in, but I also didn't expect this to have as much heart, like yeah. you said. Like so I, sweet. It was very, very nice. And <laughs> it was very, very nice. And I think like it's it's a credit to Kyle Mooney, um, who like he is his his style of comedy is very weird and awkward, but it's uh it's also very in here especially it's very charming and endearing, um and you're never like like you you're never against him like you're you never kind of think down about him, like you're just kind of like yeah like you 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 understand and you like sympathize with his situation and where he's coming from, unlike some characters in this movie, mm-hmm. um. But I, something else that uh, really stood out for me with this movie is this: I feel like it really nails the feeling of the creativity feedback loop. Like it's kind of like when you have an idea or you get excited about something creative or about an idea and then you share that with somebody else and then other people pick up on that excitement and you just kind of, it starts snowballing and you just like, it turns into this like, what if we do this? What if we did this? What if we did this? And you just feed off of that passion for the creativity or for the idea and that it manifests in you doing something about it and wanting to share it. And, and it's shown in such a positive light in this movie that like that aspect of it makes me so happy because I love when I love when that happens. Like that's why I love brainstorming. That's why I love sharing ideas. That's why I love it's what allows you to get excited about chasing these things. Cause if you just like have an idea and then somebody just like shuts it down and they're like, no, then it's like, okay, like I can't enter that loop then. And that's where more ideas can come from. Right. Um, and this movie does such a great job of like somebody says something or has an idea and then somebody builds off of it. Then another person builds off of it. Another person who is maybe skeptical about it is like, okay, yeah, let's, you see the joy, like the joy builds on itself. Yeah. And like, know? I want to be a part of the joy that these people are experiencing. So mm-hmm. it's like, it's so. You know what it is? Hmm. Dope as shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Dope as shit indeed. <laughs> um, yeah. And I just thought the, like, I thought the aesthetic of this movie was really mm-hmm. great. It's um, actually really beautiful. No. Yeah. I, I, I love it. A lot. Again, like it just like it, it has, it has a very. A very personal vibe akin to like a Eternal Sunshine or Be Kind Rewind. Kind what, did, of. what did we watch this on? Uh, Sundance Channel. Oh, right. We did a free trial and then canceled it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but it was also cool to see Mark Hamill, who's just like um, a master of voice acting. Yeah. Doing like some voice acting stuff in, in this as well. But also to like to see him acting as Did you read the himself. trivia? bit about like somebody asked him why he agreed to do this movie um i just i did but the only thing that stuck out was that he's like i actually got to say lines in this one (laughs) as opposed to force awakens where i just show up at the end yeah he basically was like well it actually was a role (laughs) yeah so like it was kind of cool to like actually see him in this like not like not as the butt of a joke Mm. like where he or as just like a cool cameo 
Yeah, like where he shows up and like he's not Luke Skywalker. He's not a cameo in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Like, he... <laughs> Do you remember what I called him at one point, though? I was like, hey, is that Luke Hamill? <laughs> <laughs> Embarrassing. <laughs> no, it's Luke Skywalker. <laughs> Mark Hamill. But um, there was like a few moments too where he was doing some kind of, he was doing some characters um, in in this movie and it, like little bits of the Joker from the Batman animated series. Again, to bring it back to Batman, it was kind of poking through. You and your Batman. Um, yeah. I loved the little Andy Samberg cameos too. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> Love me and Andy Samberg. So good. Yeah, and like everybody was great in this movie. Like all the all the actors, like a lot of a lot of well knowns, just kind of like popping up here and there. Mm-hmm. It was it was really great, and also just like kind of this like approach of you know why like people that th- people that maybe have like a preconceived notions of things that you should do or that you need to let go of or a person that you need to be in order to move into the next stage of your life like challenging that mm-hmm. and you know like why do i why do i need to get rid of core parts of what make me who i am and things that i love um to fit into what you think i need to be like just kind of being able to challenge that a little bit and um while it like it, it doesn't necessarily directly say those things it's just kind of it's more of like kind of a thought-based kind of thing but yeah um so my bear pick of the week, <laughs> Brigsby Bear. How to make you feel? It uh, it just really lightened me. Hmm. Nice. It was really lovely. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it just uh, it just made me feel nice. Mm-hmm. Very nice. It was very nice. Yeah. Something that I don't think made either of us feel very nice. <laughs> our last movie of the week. Um, I've actually had this on my radar for a while. Another one I haven't heard of. <laughs> yeah, and I was surprised. I don't think I know movies. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> am, am I baby? You are baby. I am baby. Um, I picked the 2016 movie Personal Shopper, directed and written by Olivier Assayas, um, who apparently is like a big deal. Didn't know that. Sure. Good uh, he, for you. He made a movie called Irma Verp that people like a lot. Good for you. Irma Veep. I don't know. Getting that wrong. Wonderful. Um, I'd never heard of him. I'd never heard of his movies. And I'm sure, um, I'm sure he's huge. I wanted to see this because Case Stew's in it. Ooh. Yeah, we both love us a Case Stew. So it's starring Kristen Stewart as Maureen. Really, most of the movie is just her. Yeah. Like 99% of the movie is just her by herself. Holding it down. Yeah. Um, but the other two characters that I thought were kind of the next biggest ones would be Lars Eidinger as Ingo and Sigrid Buazes as Lara. Um, the synopsis is a personal shopper in Paris refuses to leave the city until she makes contact with her twin brother who previously died there. Her life becomes more complicated when a mysterious person contacts her via text messages. Um, the text message, no S. I don't know why I added a plural to that. So I actually didn't, I didn't even know that synopsis before going into this. I just saw a lot of people that I follow on Letterboxd, really liked it. Kristen Stewart was in it. Um, it was listed as a thriller. I like thrillers. Um, so I didn't know much about it going into it, but you knew nothing about it. So what did you think of Personal Shopper? This is just Case Stu babing it up. Yeah. She's just a babe throughout this whole movie. Yeah. Just doing babely things. This is things. like Case Stu peak babe, like dressing like she does in real life. Yeah. Which is like real good. <laughs> yeah. 
And like hair like she has in real life, which is like real good. Yeah. But apparently she's not gay in it. And I'm like, God. Be gay. <laughs> just let Case do be gay. Yeah, she's freaking gorgeous in this. Um, yeah, she's told babe. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I thought she was awesome. I thought she did such a great job. Um, and like very, she had to do a lot of like really like subtle performing. Because mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of non-dialogue based dialogue <laughs> like she's doing a lot of text messaging uh, in this so she's still having to hold down the scene while just being on her phone <laughs> um, <laughs> which is like i think sounds easy but i don't think it is yeah no i agree and i feel like her interactions and just everything if it felt very real um but yeah she did she did an amazing job with everything she was doing in this movie this movie genre hops a lot. Yeah, like what you asked me before we started watching it, what genre is it? And I said, I don't even know. And then afterward, you were, you were like, yeah, but I, I was saying that because I just like actually didn't know. Um, and then while we were watching it, it's like, I still don't know. Yeah, what is it? <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it bounces from, you know, drama to kind of like thriller to horror even, um, which I mean, I'm here for. Like, that's cool. I like that. Um, so that was very jarring is not the right word. It was pleasantly jarring. Pleasantly jarring. Um and this movie was very intimate. Like mm-hmm. it, it felt very intimate. A lot of like a lot of long shots, a lot of like near like nearly oneers um that just lingered which just kind of further pushed the intimacy cuz we're kind of tracking along with Case Stew as she's going through a space or and then like nav- navigating multiple spaces within a single location or whatever it is uh very cool very well done and like genuinely freaky yeah yeah it's very like, spooky kind of the the level of um on edge i was i would equate to the new the invisible man yeah yeah, yeah. where i was just like really uneasy um, and, and a lot of it, like you said, is through these like text messages and it would just have like the buzzing of the phone. And I was just like the use of the buzzing of the phone to like signal like there's now another thing that you don't want to read or like, right. It just like it just like would freak me out. Like I'd hear mm-hmm. the buzzing and I'd be like, ah, no. <laughs> um, and there's also like another moment that like at first I was like, this is cheesy. And then. And then something else happened and I was like, no, it was really scary. <laughs> yeah. It really bothered me. I don't like it. I don't like this. <laughs> um, so that was good. I do think, so we watched it on Hoopla, which I have access to through my library card, which we like hooked up with the HDMI. And I feel like the, what's it called when it's like 380, 720? Like resolution? Yeah. I think it was bad. Yeah. And I feel like that, and the subtitles were bad. But I didn't feel like we could turn them off because like some of the stuff was really hard to understand. The subtitles were poorly done. The movie was in like 360p and the <laughs> subtitles were in 1080p. <laughs> yeah. It was just like this weird mismatch of Yeah. So <laughs> of I, do, I do think that like impacted my overall engagement in like how how um how much I was able to like let the real world like disappear and be engaged in the movie was impacted by like the resolution quality and the fact that the mouse didn't disappear oh yeah freaking hoopla so so just like the mouse just like kind of creeping in the corner the whole time 
the, the and it's like such that's like bright white like the computer cursor i mean like not like a mouse <laughs> <laughs> this bright white mouse was in the corner the entire time it wouldn't disappear um yeah. yeah, so I do think that impacted it. This is so this is actually a really divisive film. I didn't realize that when I like picked it. Um, I'm gonna read you this little bit of trivia because I'm like, whoa, yeah, like really divisive. So this premiered at the 69th nice. <laughs> edition of the Cannes International Film Festival, and it was booed by critics. But then it got rave reviews by some critics. Um, and then so it says, in spite of the divisive reactions by international critics, the film was well received by the audience at the premiere who gave it a long standing ovation. And Olivier Assayas won Best Director Award at the official competition jury. So, yeah, like and even on like my letterbox, there's people who gave it two and people who gave it five. Mm. So it's like, it seems to be a really like love it or list it kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> like. You either you either are really into it or you're really not. I feel like I'd be really bad at one of these festivals because I just the idea of either a, like a crowd of people standing standing up and like booing, or like standing up and like walking out, or standing up and giving a movie an ovation for like the duration of the credits and beyond. Yeah, I feel like you never like when people clap at like MCU movies and stuff. I mean, like it's fine. I think it's funny. Yeah. I just I feel like that would be such a weird thing. I'd be like, I mean, nobody's here. Like, what? Why? Why are we still clapping? Just because they're happy. Yeah, they're like I. I lived long enough to see No Way Home. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I mean, like at the festivals. Oh, (laughs) like like standing and clapping for like fifteen minutes. Well, those people in that situation, the people are there. Yeah, maybe you know what? Maybe I should knock it until. Yeah, we ain't never been to any cool festivals. Yeah, maybe we need... We should go to TIFF. Yeah, we should. I think that'd be fun. And yeah, maybe one day we'll go to Cannes and we'll stand for... Is it Cannes or is it Cannes? It's Canis. <laughs> right. <laughs> we must go to Canis and make sure that that's how we pronounce it the entire time. Hello, are we at the Canis International Film Festival? And we'll see who wins the Canis Grand Prix. Definitely. Um. Uh, speaking of though, it's a Criterion movie, eh? I was wondering if it was. It, yeah. like, it has that vibe. Like, yeah, it yeah. should be cool. The cover's cool. I mean, I'd probably watch this again, honestly. I feel like I want to watch it in better resolution, though. And I, I agree. I think this is one of those ones that um, I'll like more on a rewatch. Yeah. It. I did like it ended, and we were both kind of like, "Hmm." So what does that? What does that ending mean? I will say. So it is one of those movies that made me feel like a little unintelligent because I didn't like get it. Um, but I didn't necessarily like love the experience enough to not care about that. Right. Like sometimes I'm just like, yeah, I don't know what it meant, but I friggin loved it. And so like I'm thinking like Eraserhead, Green Knight, Persona, Lighthouse, like those kinds of things where I'm just like, well, I loved it so much. I don't even care that I don't know what it means. Um, or even like a ghost story, which has some like similar vibes, but like this one leans more like freaky tense and a ghost story is more just like super sad um so i kind of was like well I, I want to understand what it means and i didn't understand what it means but then i read a lot of things where like people were just like really emotionally impacted by it like like i read stuff where people like, were just talking about how it just like hit them on a really heavy level in terms of its like exploration of like grief and believing yourself and like that kind of stuff um and it didn't do that for me. Right. Did it do that for you? Not really. Like it um 
I mean, not to jump too far ahead into how this made me feel, but it just, yeah, it kind of like left me wanting answers a little Mm -hmm. bit. And like, I think it's fair. And I know that movies like to kind of leave things up to interpretation and whatnot, but um, yeah, like it kind of left me feeling like there wasn't quite enough that I felt satisfied at the end, But but I still enjoyed the experience of the movie. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. But like, yeah, like the way that I've read some people, like some reviews where people talked about how like it emotionally impacted them. I'm like, oh, that's how I felt about a ghost story. Yeah. Where I'm just like, this movie just hit me on a level that like no amount of anything can can get in between me and what I felt with this film. Right. I feel that way about everything at Rural at once too. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's interesting. I think I would like to revisit it. On, on a better, higher quality yeah. <laughs> buy it from Criterion and it's a shame it wasn't on the Criterion um, channel yeah stinky he has another movie he did that Case Stu's also in mm. and um Chocolat Lady Julia Ben Ben Benier not <laughs> Benoche something like that uh, yeah and it and that one is also a Criterion movie but it is also but it is actually on the Criterion channel so Cool. Something like cloud something or other. I mean, I enjoyed the tone of this and the execution of this enough that I would watch more of this. You just like case do. Oh yeah, I do. Speaking of though, I just have like a bone to pick before we wrap up this conversation. I really dislike when people dislike actors for no reason. We're just like, oh, case do hater. I think that both. I think that Case Stu and Robert Pattinson both suffer from the same thing where... It's like, oh, Twilight. Like, if I feel like people... I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking this, but I feel like people have this expectation that they need to prove themselves post-Twilight. I think they both have. Time and time again. Yeah. But I feel like people still have that stuck in their craw that, like, they haven't proven themselves past Twilight or these are just the Twilight kids. Like, really, tell me... An actor who hasn't done a terrible movie. I don't think it exists. Like, I look at the, like, catalog of... Like, sometimes I'll just go on Letterboxd and be like, oh, what else has Ethan Hawke been in? And I'm like, whoa, some of these look like absolute steaming garbage. Right? So, like, do we just, like, not get mad at Ethan Hawke for being in crap movies because he did the Sunset Trilogy first? Or the Before Trilogy (laughs) first? But because Robert Pattinson and Case Stu did Twilight before they did all of these, like, indie films they're stuck with Twilight instead of their, like, indie darling. I mean, I know there's a lot of people that do, like, Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson. But... Well, I mean, now Ethan Hawke's stuck with Moon Knight. <laughs> we never finished Moon Knight. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they're just, like, there's a lot of people who, like, gave this ones or twos or even half stars on Letterboxd because, like, and all I would say is, like, ugh, Kristen Stewart's in it. I think I'm you... like, what is your problem? If you hate Kristen Stewart that much, don't watch movies she's in. I think that, I think that also just pop culture has kind of made fun of Kristen Stewart and how she acts and some of her like isms that I find I don't know charming and endearing um and I think that because places like Saturday Night Live or uh, other comedians or like things like that like she's been the butt of many jokes that that also like she has a harder time running up that hill Kate Bush is talking about than (laughs) say Robert Pattinson yeah, well, I like her. I don't know. It's not fair. I think that she's awesome. And I think she's a great actor. I really I really want to see Spencer. Like, I, I know that we're, we've had a lot of talk about biopics, but... I, I've heard good things about it. Yeah, it, like, I, I'm still curious about that one. And Robert Pattinson's awesome. He's been doing great films. Yeah, both babes. 
there's a reason they were cast in Twilight and like I'm not going to begrudge anyone like disliking an actor. If you dislike somebody, you dislike somebody. But I just don't see the point in like because you have a personal. Just there's something that you just like personally don't like about somebody that you go and like review bomb their stuff. Yeah. Like, eh. Yeah. Like, I, yeah, there's I mean, I don't like Adam Sandler, but I'm not going to go on. Yes, yeah, every... so I'm not going to watch Jack and Jill. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, and I'm not going to go on every review site and just review bomb him on all of his movies. That's and we gave on Cut Gems a chance and liked it. Yeah. I, yeah. Um. Anyway, that's just my gripe, my gripe of the day. And it's uh yeah, it's a fair one. So to 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 bring it back to to not me griping, how did Personal Shopper make you feel? Um it made me feel confused, but like <laughs> not in a bad way. <laughs> <laughs> I have uh confused as well. How did it make me feel confused? I also put on edge, like I was genuinely yeah. super like on edge. For a lot of the film. Yeah. And I was like, like give me the Wiggins. Like I said, I really enjoyed the experience of watching this movie. Um, confusion and all and genre bending and all. Um, and it, like I said, it left me wanting more answers and a little bit more clarity. But like I said, I, I want to see it again. Yeah. And I think I, I think that that's like the deal with this guy. I think he's a pretty prolific writer director. So it'd be interesting maybe to check out something else he's done too. Yeah. Totally. All right. Cool. It's time. Let's talk about bad dads and rad dads. Let's talk about dads. You start. Tell me who your bad dad is. Um, I picked Emily, played by Claire Danes in Brigsby Bear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she is a bad dad. Yeah. So she's, um, she's, um, James. James is the therapist in Brigsby Bear. And she just, She's, she's not a very good therapist. No. And she's a proponent of that thing I was talking about earlier of just like forgetting very important parts of your life that even if like, even if they're just kind of a big part of who you are, who your identity is, and the like if pieces are really important to you because it happened in a context that is maybe not great that you should just forget about it and like get rid of it and it shouldn't be a part of your identity anymore. That's terrible advice. And I mm -hmm. think unrealistic. Like, I think to just like 180 who you are as a person is not something that should you should be told to do. And I think there's complexities to that. And I think having that attitude about anybody and just telling them to move on or move to the next thing or change. Um, I don't I don't think that's fair. I don't think it's like especially when that person didn't seek that out. It's not like they're like, this is what I want and I need your help with it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It was more like this is mandated that you do this, whether you want to or not. Yeah. So I like, yeah, I, I felt I felt like that was it's really bad, but also like could be really harming. Mm -hmm. Could be really dangerous. So yeah, Emily Stinker. Yeah. How about you? <laughs> I picked Nora Waldstatten's character of Kira from Personal Shopper. I get it. <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> So I said, she's not like that present in the movie, but just like, what a petulant brat. Oh, big time. Yeah. And like, so entitled. And then like, in terms of being a boss to um, Maureen, like she's a terrible communicator. She doesn't follow through with like what her responsibilities as like the employer are. Um, and then like the little glimpses we get into like her life also seems like she's just really 
spoiled and like doesn't consider other people's feelings and just like focuses on herself. Um, but I think petulant is the best word for her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just like, oh, my goodness. And my review was uh, on Letterboxd. Like, she probably doesn't know how to cut a cucumber. Yeah. yeah she's a real uh, she's a real rock in your shoe. But I do think in terms of those two and in terms of like dad energy, I would say I, I'm with you that I think Claire Danes gives her character gives more like bad dad energy. So I'll, I'll I will uh, side with you on that. I didn't even consider her. And as soon as you said it, I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah. She stinks. She sucks. So Emily, Claire Danes from Brigsby Bear, stick. Get out of here. Um, Rad dad. Do your rad dad. So my rad dad is a George Lundborg's character of Spencer from nice. Brigsby Bear. Me too. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's really, really sweet. I, I have that he's just like so immediately welcoming um, and just like supportive. He's a hype person. Um, he helps make, make dreams come true. Yeah. I have exa- I wrote down hype person. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah. <laughs> that's, th- that's That's exactly what he is. Um, but he is just like a big proponent of feeding into that creative loop I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Like he hears what James's idea is and like what this thing is. And he just takes it and runs with it. And he's just like, I love this. I think we could do this. And he just like starts working with James and starts bringing in other people to help create this thing. And I, I, I love that. He's just a proponent of that excitement of the creative process. And he's. But still always allowing like the. um ownership to be with james yeah right like it's about supporting james's idea and james's dream as opposed to like taking it over and making it his own yeah and that's i mean to make what you just said kind of resonates with me on a personal level is that like in my job my job title is art director so as a part of that i'm working with people i'm more senior to some other people that i'm working with uh frequently on projects so it is my job that like it's not just my idea that needs to come through all the time, but I need to support other people's ideas and the other people can come to me and we create that sort of creative feedback loop with each other. And it's, you know, while there maybe is somebody that's taking more of the reins, it all has to feed into each other and have that, and have that sort of balance. So, and yeah, like you want to hype each other up, but the, I just, yeah, that made me think of that. It's the, and what uh, Spencer does in this film is totally that. And yeah, I also have like, like he's supportive. And he's he, sweet. And uh, he's curious. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has like this really charming curiosity about James and this, this thing that they're making. But he's also, he's also really generous, like mm-hmm. with his time, with his resources, with his knowledge of things and with his feedback. I, and yeah, he's, uh, he's great. And uh, I think he's, uh, in terms of creative collaborators, he's one of the best. So George Lundberg, Spencer, be your dad. dad. Um, do you have anything else to add? Because I have one more thing to add. Oh, you have a bonus daddy. It's Case Deuce. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Of course. Maureen from Personal Shopper. It's Case Deuce. Yeah. Just babing, babing it up, being babely. Yeah. If Kristen Stewart wants to marry one or either or both of us. Yeah. Call us up. Yeah. I know she's engaged to somebody else, but um, we'll answer the call. Oh, yeah. We'll be here. We have Twitter at Bad Dad Rad Dad. So if, 18 followers, baby. Yeah. You know, if you want to be one of them, you want to be number 19. Yeah. Come on. Um. So, yeah. Case to Marine, personal shopper. Wow. Wow. Wheat woot. Um, 
Why don't you hit us with a rad wreck? Okay, so super fun. Um, I'm gonna give some preamble here. No, I'm just gonna say, the rad wreck is the quarry, the video game, the quarry. Yeah. The preamble to this is that um, when we've bought our well, my very first PlayStation ever, but like the first PlayStation that we owned as a couple, you had one as a kid. Um, we went out and bought a PlayStation Four. Yep. Because I wanted to play Until Dawn, mm-hmm. and it was only it's a it's a PlayStation exclusive. Is the Quarry also a PlayStation exclusive? exclusive? Uh, no, no. Okay, well that's good. More inclusive. It's literally the opposite of exclusive. Um, so I really loved Until Dawn. That's when I was kind of just getting into playing video games on my own, and I I wanted to play it because it was horror and because Rami Malek was in it, and I loved it. I played it, and then I watched you play it, um, and then I kind of got into those. Like, those games aren't Telltale games, but in that, like, kind of vein. So I played um, Heavy Rain, Life is Strange. I I bought Beyond Two Souls and started it, but never finished it. Um, so when you told me that this, like, new game, like, Until Dawn was coming out, I got super excited. And I was like, well, let's go get it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's another, it's made by the same people. Yeah. And it's, like, a horror make choices game where you're, like... Which has an aggressive save function. So, like, if you kill somebody, they're they're gone. They're toast. <laughs> You're done. Um, and the choices you make are the choices you make, and you can't go back and undo them. Unlike, uh, you know, I love The Last of Us and The Last of Us Two, but it's a different experience because if you die as Joel, you just get to like respawn, respawn, and and try that section again, um, which can be infinitely frustrating. Like, there was a part in The Last of Us Two where I just like kept dying i was like not going to be able to shoot my way out of it and so i just looked up the path that would like stop the people from coming after me and i just hightailed it to the the door that i needed to go to that's brilliant i just took a bunch of damage and then and i got there but this is this is a different kind of experience so we went out and got it um and you wanted to play it together yeah which we haven't done that with a game like this no i don't think we've really done it with many like one player games where we just i guess we have with like mario games yeah but like we've never taken turns playing the last of us or anything like that no um and at first it was like hard to get to 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 do because i process so fastly and you process so thoughtfully we'll say thanks um so i'd be like ellie we need to make a decision and then like you wouldn't say anything so i would just make the decision uh yeah it was so fun Super fun. It was so fun. And the graphics are phenomenal. Well, and like the setting is like a summer camp and it's like the start of summer. So like it, I'm just in the mood for yeah. this sort of thing. And it's like it it plays off of so many classic horror movie tropes. And it knows that it is. And, so it has fun with it. And it's, yeah. And it's so fun. And like there's so many characters that just again play into the tropes of the characters if, within horror movies. Like if horror movies are your jam and you love that sort of thing and you have access and the ability to... uh have a gaming system that can play the quarry. Uh, we I, we recommend. Yeah, it. highly recommend. Super it was super fun. fun, and we like we thought we were doing really really good, and then in like the literal last five minutes of the game, we killed four people. Yeah, and then we were like, oh, we did really really bad, and we're like, we were pretty dejected about it. it I I equated it to like getting to the very end of an escape room and then not escaping. Yeah, where it's like, like even you, though you had fun the whole time, you're like. You just feel gutted that you didn't you get play, out. You played the whole room, but you failed the last puzzle. Yes. And so that's how it felt. And I was like, oh, did we just like really suck? 
But then we found out that there were 78 different ways we could have killed people prior to those last five minutes and realized we had done really, really well. Pretty good. Yeah. And like um, a, one, a YouTuber I watch who does Let's Plays is Jacksepticeye. And he had the, he bought like the deluxe edition, which has like a rewind feature. So if someone dies, you can rewind that scene and make a different choice so that you could save them. So we weren't doing that because we didn't get the deluxe edition. So we played it real pure. And, yeah, and I think and, we did really and well. still did really well. It was super fun. It was really fun. And if you've played Until Dawn and you liked it, I think you'd really like the quarry. If you've never played it, it's also a great game for like people who aren't super gamer people. Yeah. Because like you don't do a lot. Yeah. It's no, more of a cinematic. Yeah. It's uh yeah, a little bit less involved. The QTEs here, quick time events are like a lot less complex than Until Dawn. They're confusing. But like once you know what you're doing, they're like real easy. Like I don't know how you miss those. I yeah. don't know how you'd mess up. No. Like I I messed up in someone until dawn and like killed people because of it. Yeah. Not I. You did mess up one, but it didn't like impact us. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I mean, video games are just getting more and more gorgeous. Like it, we're basically just playing movies gorgeous. at this point. <laughs> we're basically just playing movies at this time. At this point. Yeah. Um, I think that at the end of it. While they kind of offered me two different experiences, I think I liked Until Dawn better overall than um, than the Quarry. But opposite, I quite I I I quite like the Quarry. But I liked the Quarry better than Until Dawn. I think it just edged it out like a little bit because I feel like Until Dawn was a little bit more challenging. Like I feel like the QTEs were more challenging. I felt like there were more stakes with each okay, of the okay. characters. I will say i liked the gameplay of until dawn better but i liked the story of the quarry better yeah i get that yep and i think i was gonna i was gonna say something about the characters of who i like the characters more i like the characters in the quarry better i think so too but i also haven't played until dawn in a long time maybe it's time to replay it we should and we should play it together because we played it separately the first time yeah and it's been it's been a hot minute and we're better at video games now. So, <laughs> except you're having me playing Cuphead with you right now, and we are not doing so hot. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. Anyway, that's our rad wreck. Uh, the quarry video game. Yeah, pick it up if you can. Um, the last thing that we mentioned last week is we are still running this super swanky contest with Edmonton International Film Festival. We're giving away a pair of tickets to see one of our most anticipated movies of the fil- of of the year. Which I think is going to be, I feel it in my bones, is going to be right up there with everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, as one of our favorite films of the year, which is Marcella Shell with Shoes On. Um, we're still running it um, until, I believe, tomorrow, as of you hearing this podcast. So uh, fr- it'll be, oh, what's the, what's the hot date? Friday? Friday the 8th. The 8th? Yeah. So... Friday the 8th at noon is going to be the cutoff and we're going to be choosing a pair of winners. Um, to get a double pass. To get a double pass each. And right now, your odds are real good. Yeah. So if you want to come see Marcel the Shell with us for free. Yeah. Also, I'd say, though, if you want to see it and you don't win, you should buy tickets and come see it with us. You should. Yeah. Support coming that would um, that would support Film Fest and just uh, bringing bigger better films to uh the city of edmonton which is great so yeah enter go to our instagram all of the info is there uh and enter enter there um and also just 
wanted to say like we really encourage you to check out the Edmonton International Film Festival when it comes uh, in full storm in September. It runs from September 22nd to October 1st. And like we mentioned last time, they have some really, really great programming. They have Oscar qualifying film selections there. Um, they, they premiered Parasite, which went on to win Best Picture. So you can see some of these biggest, these huge movies before a lot of other people can, which is really awesome. And they also curate really good uh, short films. They do these things called lunchbox shorts where you can go to the cinema over the lunch hour and they have short collections of short films and they, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if they're doing it again this year, but they usually provide lunch for you too. So you can go chow down, watch some really sweet short films. Um, but all the information that you'd want on the film fest is edmontonfilmfest.com. We love those guys. They're all wonderful. But yeah, thank you so much for listening to this episode. We drop a new little sweetie every Thursday. But in between, you can follow us and slide into our DMs on Instagram at baddad.raddad, on Twitter at baddadraddad, and you can get a sneak peek at what we've been watching on our individual letterboxed accounts. Links for those are in our show notes. And pretty, pretty please drop us a rating, review, or a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening from. Or let somebody know about the show that you think might like it. Yeah, spread the word. Spread the word about these two stinkies. But... That's going to do it for us for this week. So until next time. I'm Kylie and my dad's dead. I'm Elliot and my dad's a deadbeat. But remember. Not all dads have to be bad. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.